You're listening to the Physics Ed Podcast. For hundreds of ideas, free experiments and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. And now, here's your host, Ben Newsom. Yes, welcome again for another Physics Ed Podcast. Glad to have you again for another chat around STEM. And in this particular case, we're hanging out with someone who really knows how to make science inquiry happen. Stuart Colhagen is well known as the science nomad. And for the last 35 years, he's been working in science inquiry in many, many different ways, having previously worked as the Director of Science and Learning at Questacon, Australia's National Science and Technology Centre. However, recently he's been working in many, many schools right across the world in South Africa, Indonesia, Korea, Brunei, Vietnam, Thailand, you name it. He's been working with science center staff, science educators, many places where you can really get science inquiry to happen and more importantly, using simple materials. We're going to hang out and learn just how he thinks and how we should be thinking when we're teaching science. Let's head right into it. This is the Physics Ed Podcast. We're all about science, ed tech and more. To see 100 fun free experiments you can do with your class, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. And click 100 free experiments. Well, uh, obviously, obviously, I think the most important thing to start with is I'm very old. Uh, so uh, I've had a chance to do quite a few things. Uh, but really, I've really only done kind of two things, three things maybe in my life. Uh, certainly went through university and uh, did the, the science degree PhD stream. But while I was doing that, at exactly the same time, I was also working with the founding director of Questicon, um, at that stage, a community-run volunteer-based science centre here in Canberra, which over eight years grew from a small community project um, to the point where at Australia's bicentennial, the Japanese government joined with the Australian government and kind of waved the magic wand and we got transformed from a community-run science centre uh, to the National Science and Technology Centre, based here in Canberra. Um, the National Science and Technology Centre sort of operates as Questicon, which pretty much everyone in Australia will have heard of. So I've, I've worked with um, uh, Mike Gore, the founding director there, um, and kind of segued from my uh, academic studies um, uh, into uh, into the role as exhibit designer. So Questicon's a fully hands-on, participative, uh, learn-by-doing uh, science centre. It's not a collecting science museum. Um, and so I sort of cut my teeth for eight years uh, during the foundation of Questicon, us finding out what, you know, interactive learning was. And it was not theory-based stuff. We were, we were practitioner learners um, at that stage. And uh, the exhibits in the small disused school uh, became so popular that at some stage we had to try and get people off the floor. So we started doing science shows and Mike Gore um, was a, is a gifted thespian uh, as well as a physicist. Uh, and so he started doing science shows and I was sort of the first of the, the younger volunteers at that stage. That's how long ago it was. Um, uh, started joining in, picking up his shows, developing new shows. And probably one of the greatest uh, insights that Mike had as a as a founder of this project was that uh, was not to be arrogant. And even when we became the National Science Centre, that was just the headquarters. And you know, two thirds, three quarters of the work that we've always done has always been outreach, has been work out uh, from the main building. We don't expect everyone can or should um, or needs to come to the big shiny white building in Canberra. So outreach. 
uh, and engagement has always been part of our practice and part of our DNA uh, from the literally from the get go. Um, and so whilst I started work um, uh, as sort of the, the first exhibit designer uh, and spent much of my first decades uh, at Questicon um, helping design and develop and prototype and think about exhibitions and individual exhibits. Um, later, uh, even someone like me inevitably gets in or eventually gets promoted. So I was uh, put in charge then of uh, eventually as a director of science and uh, learning, was also put in charge of our outreach and education programs. And for kind of the last decade of my time at Questicon, I was working very actively uh, with the, the great team uh, that we had at Questicon, working with universities and other research organizations just to, to sort of pull the two together. So for a lot of that early time as Questicon, we, uh, we wanted, we needed to kind of present ourselves as we're not school, we're something different, and that's true. Um, but that kind of also, uh, if you like, kind of um, made, made us think that, you know, the two worlds, there was kind of a, a significant air gap between formal schooling and informal learning, um, which really there isn't. So, you know, I understand and was part of, you know, going, no, we're different to school, and we certainly were and are. Uh, but during that last 10 years of working at, at Questicon, uh, I got, uh, because of my academic or university training and my position there, I got to, to work as one of the investigators on a number of very interesting projects. Um, that Questicon was a, an industry partner on ARC, uh, research grant uh, projects. So one of those was working with something which is called the, um, uh, the, the Science of Learning. Uh, project, which is about four or five universities, that brought together um, neuro, neuropsych, brain imaging folk, uh, educational practitioners and theorists, uh, and behavioural cog cognitive scientists, um, and brought all of these together in sort of a multi-university, multi-year research program to try and understand not the teaching of science, but the science of how learning happens. And they were kind of interested in working with Questicon because we're kind of, you know, a very, um, in terms of research at school, we're kind of a very fluid learning environment. We try lots of things, and this is common for those of us in kind of informal education. Um, we'll try things. We've got freedoms that, uh, you know, uh, a curriculum-bound school doesn't have. So we, we, we tend to think about what's going to work, not what does the curriculum tell me I should be talking about today. So we, we can innovate, we can try things, we can prototype, we can fail, we can adjust. It's, it's, a, it's, a, very it's a more fluid um, environment to, to look at learning in, which is one of the things the, the Science of Learning Research Group were you know, particularly keen to be working with us because of, of that characteristic that we had. So that was where I sort of you know, was talking in my usual bumbling fashion about you know the importance and the 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 passion I had for hands-on learning and how I saw it was great and valuable. Um, you know, and this is someone who was formally trained as a biochemist and studied parasites. You know, talking about the, the brain and learning, and the the psych guy that I was talking to on this day was sort of nodding along and I was going, "Oh, you 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 feel the same way? That's good." And he said, "Yeah, yeah, that's all called embodied cognition." And I'm going, 
there's a word for this. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, it's one of those things which, you know, uh, I was expecting to contribute and to learn a lot from the, from the program, but just that gateway that those connections had into, you know, a universe of, of research into how learning happens. And it wasn't just, you know, us practitioners, trial and error, intuition, uh, that we were doing, hey, you know, lots, lots of this stuff, you know, get studied. You should, you know, get across it. Um, and that, that process, um, which sort of started, you know, 10, 15 years ago, sort of gave me, if you like, a lot of confidence in not me just, you know, feeling what we're doing looked good. I, at that, through that process, I also got to understand, you know, just how it's good and which bits of it are powerful and why. Um, and so it's not just, I reckon, you know, it's me and, you know, a couple of thousand cognitive research scientists, you know, also reckon that there is power in engagement, there's power in curiosity. It's not, it's not just a motto, it's not just a t-shirt logo, uh, although I have both of those. Um, uh, you know, it, it's, it is significant and it's deep and it's real. Um, and that was one of the things which has sort of given me a lot of courage um, and comfort, I guess. Uh, once I'd left uh, Questicon and so, you know, with my contacts and kind of interest in uh, so, you know, helping those people that I could help, um, you know, it wasn't just, oh, I think this will be fun. Uh, this will be, uh, they'll enjoy it. I'll enjoy it. That's a good thing. Uh, I was sort of, you know, able to, to you know, feel uh, I had sort of, you know, backing and grounding uh, in sort of, you know, research that supported these methodologies. And so, um, one of the other big projects that I worked on was uh, ELSA, uh, Early Learning STEM Australia, that was kind of run out of the University of Canberra. And I worked on that project for a while, uh, helping develop um, materials and uh, learning apps uh, that kind of uh, instructed people to get off the app and go into the real world and do some observations and, and, and be real. Um, and sort of curated and managed and supported through the app. But that was a, a process working with the, the researchers uh, at uh, CERC, the Science Education Research Centre in University Canberra, um, de helping develop that, that program. Um, again, gave me sort of that connection with the researchers that really, you know, was, was, you know, didn't quite blow my mind, but gosh, it was a candy store uh, of, you know, great, um, great corroboration uh, not any collaboration, but corroboration of, you know, these things, these things really work. And there is, there's a science behind some of it. Um, and that kind of, I guess, all of that, that pool of things, as I kind of took early retirement from Questicon, kind of crystallized kind of into an approach um, that I've been using um, since I've left Questicon and kind of started the Science Nomad project, which is really looking um, at, uh, at impact looking at impact. So how do you, how do you make a difference? Because it's, it's, um, I have, uh, have a number of t-shirts and one of them sort of, you know, says, you know, activity is easy, impact takes planning. Um, and that's, that's, I guess, one of the big um, parts of my process. Um, I'm not saying that, that are the other informal educators at SciComm uh, communicators don't also think that way, but for me, it, it's it's become a kind of a, as, as formal as I get on anything, which is not very. Um, that's become a, a kind of a, a very structured part 
of my process of, you know, before I start a project, what are the outcomes? What, what do I want to achieve? What's achievable? And I'm pretty tough on myself when I work sometimes training other mentees and doing occasional so, you know, seminars in universities. I'm pretty tough on other psychomers about that, it's, you know, which is, you know, don't use the word awareness in my presence. Um, you're allowed to, but I, I start that way. You know, don't talk to me about awareness. Awareness is, is, is nothing. I'm not interested in awareness. Um, and that, that's a little shocking for some people. You go, oh, no, but, you know, we want to get somewhere big and we want to change the planet. So, you know, people aren't behaving the right way. So we should, I, am, I behave the right way and I know what's going on. So it's this idea that, you know, if I give you enough knowledge or awareness about this, then you'll change. And sometimes I'm giving these lectures to academics or having discussions, I never really lecture, um, having discussions with, you know, universities that are doing teacher training, uh, for example, because I, I very much like to work in those places which I see are points of influence. So there's just one of me, um, largely kind of self-funded or ad hoc funded, and so if I'm going to do some work, I'd like it to have a legacy. And so choosing projects where I can hope to have an influence, a positive influence, and leave a legacy are kind of the ones which I uh, cherry pick because I'm, you know, um, that's, that's where I choose to put my effort because, you know, I, I'm at that stage of life now where I don't have to do this. I choose to do it. So I choose the projects where I can have some impact. So I'll, I'll often work with teacher training universities, uh, student teachers, um, more than working directly with students. And so I'll talk about, you know, don't talk to me about awareness. Um, as I said earlier, before we started, I've just sort of back from the Balkans. And uh, there, I think in, in Serbia, for, for example, I think smoking is almost mandated. Um, I, I th uh, it's, it's, it's very, very, very prevalent. Uh, on there. And so if I'm having a chat to people about awareness and impact, they go, so how many people here are aware that smoking's bad? And of course, you know, everyone will put their hand up pretty much, 99.9. .9. You go, who here smokes or knows someone that smokes? Same number of hands are up there. And so I just got to leave that there to go, so that's awareness. And so if, if you are choosing or using, stating that you are doing this, doing your STEM engagement because you want students to do better at this or choose different careers or go further, then awareness, and this comes from the science of learning and you know behavioral change theory and that sort of stuff. Awareness is not the powerful magic wand that we would hope it is. So there are barriers, <clears throat> excuse me, there are barriers that are gonna stop awareness progressing to behavior change. And that's that's the stuff that I look at is going, okay, I'm gonna come in, I can get them engaged. Most of us can do that. And most of us do a really good job on that. Um, and we get them from point A to point B, we get them excited. And then for most of us running our projects, um, we disengage either completely or mostly uh, and often for a very long time. And so, it's, you know, if I was using blunt language, we kind of abandon them at that point. And so, okay, we've got them excited. Where do they go after you stop, I stop working with them? What, what happens next week that's different? And if it's just awareness, that could in fact be a negative. They're now aware of just how bad their school is. 
how crap their educational experience has been to date and how good it could be, but it's not. And for the next three years, they don't see your program, they don't see my program, they don't see any programs, but they're aware that things could be much better. And I'm going, that, that doesn't feel like a great outcome. And I'm not saying that happens all the time, but that's as plausible as a narrative, an anecdotal narrative going, oh, the kids are really excited about that and they committed to going on to become astrophysicists. Um, going, so if they're going to go somewhere, you don't have to carry them all the way. Your project can't and doesn't have to walk with them all the way. But if you can't give them a tangible next place to go, next thing to do, next person to connect with, if you can't do that, there's probably no chance they'll find that connection. And so <clears throat> it's looking at, I'm going to get you, I'm going to wake you up, I'm going to get you curious about stuff. And now as I leave, what have I done? Even a little thing, what have I done? Do I leave you with a multimeter? <clears throat> Excuse me. Do I, do I leave you with a box of dice? Do I, you know, in some of the schools I go to, if I leave them with pen and paper, that's a big enabler for them to continue doing what I've done with them. So that's what, again, one of the reasons I, I love to use, as I, as I say, kind of, you know, humble materials, very humble materials. Because when I leave, they've got at least a chance of accessing those materials and continuing that experience. So if I visit and show some great robots, they'll have a wonderful day. And then when I take the robots away, uh, they're just disappointed for the yeah. rest of the year. Hundred percent. I love the word the enabling, uh, honestly, and the, and frankly, the iterative approach that you've gone into. It's the way it should work, really. I mean, the uh, as you were describing um, the humble side of resources. Um, I mean, I was just thinking of a, in a previous uh, episode. We were talking with Godwin Morris, who does uh, engineering with paper, and there's a lot of these programs out, but yeah. paper is so ubiquitous; it's everywhere. And yep. so simple. And the fact that you can actually make simple machines out of this stuff, you can make something that's rather complex, actually, if you start putting these machines together, that's fantastic. And I think the idea of you looking at the enablement side, not the awareness side, is frankly useful. <laughs> it really is. I mean, this, and I imagine this transcends cultures. I mean, so you were in Thailand, you're in, in the Balkans and whatnot. Um, everyone wants to be able to go, right, I've got this knowledge, now what? And without yeah, the now what, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> Yeah, so um, one of the benefits of kind of hands-on, um, hands-on learning, hands-on engagement as kind of we, um, the, the, our community kinds of practices it. Uh, one of the benefits is the more hands-on it is, the less time you have to spend talking. Yeah, a, that's it's, right. It's, yes, I would... it's not. In, in, in fact, that's the worst thing to be doing. Yes, you need you need to talk enough to get them started, and then as hard as it is. Shut up. Yes, 100%. <laughs> I, was, I was out of the, um, at a regional council uh, holiday programs because, hey, this is what we do. We do outreach. Um, and I was having a chat with one of the, one of the librarians there, and, I, and she asked, so is it working? I said, it is because we're having this chat. Exactly. <laughs> it literally it, is the main thing. Exactly, exactly. So for, for me, kind of the, the two, um, uh, two, two of the big pillars of kind of uh, what, what I uh, sort of my approach and I guess what I focus on is is that okay where 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 have I got you ready to go next and have I done what I can to remove the barriers or get you connected um, and you know I spend a lot of time designing the project and spending time to get to understand the community that I'm going to work with as much as I can to go okay what's 
what's your situation? You say you want to do STEM. Why are you doing that? What do you think STEM is? What have you done in the past? Why, why isn't that working? So it's trying to identify the barriers. And with a lot of school systems, um, it's you, you get similar, you get 80% the same answers. The curriculum is either bad and busy, the teachers are ill-prepared or ill-resourced, um, the students and the teachers and the parents are all focusing on exam results. So the school is locked in to, to that kind of uh, mode. So you turn up, it's a happy day, happy afternoon, uh, but they don't see that there's a lot of scope to integrate what you've done. It was just a reward for the kids behaving well that week and the ones that misbehaved didn't get to the to the gig. Um, and, you know, that's uh, that's a reality. Now, I, I'm not happy that many school systems around the world still operate like that, uh, but one of me is not going to change that uh, quickly. Um, and so, you know, I will work with the teachers then to go, oh, okay, so you've, you've seen some of the stuff I'm doing and the way, not only what I do, but how I do it, uh, also very much it kind of works backwards. So I'm dyslexic, uh, which means doing things backwards for me is absolutely a natural thing to do. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of demonstrations, you know, um, and I, I did them for 20, 30 years. Uh, you'll get up there going, hi, this is what this is. I'm explaining what this is. We're going to show you what this is and this will behave in a surprising way. And that will prove that what I said was happening is happening. And now I've done some teaching or you've done some learning and it was fun and, and a little bit surprising. Now that's all good, but at the top of just about every curriculum document in every country in the world that I've ever looked at, the top level stuff is we want to prepare our students to be problem solvers, critical thinking, ready for a changing dynamic world. And then their science class is, you know, how do you clean the microscope slides and put the microscopes away at the end of the lesson? And these things are just disconnected, you know, uh, you know, in a in a horrible, um, dramatic fashion. Those things just it just doesn't turn up, and that's not the teacher's fault per se, but they just haven't been shown ways in which you can bring problem solving and critical thinking. Everyone goes, oh, they'll do that later, you know, uh, but that's the wrong point. You should be starting with that as much as um, all the core content. It should be all together, not oh, they'll sort it out later. So the, 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 my approach to talking about, you know, your conversation about, is it working? Um, you and I can tell it's working because there's a buzz in the room and everyone's focused and talking about what's in front of them, not checking their phones, not trying to leave. We know that it's working, that the magic's happening and, you know, we can stand back from it. And so, you know, I will, I will be you know, quite um, demanding, quite focused on asking questions. I might be showing things by asking questions and I'm, I will often, depends on the group and the teacher and the subject, um, I may or may not ever give an answer, uh, which is for some students literally blows their mind. I had a group of four young Indian girls that attended a, a, a presentation that I was doing. Uh, and I and I sort of said, as my, as my gift to you, I'm not going to explain this. And they're as polite and engaged and as passionate as, as anyone I've ever had. But all four of them in unison screamed, but sir, you have to, it's your job. And <laughs> I then sort of, I took, which didn't surprise me. It was a great opportunity for me to then really explain, I'm not explaining it to you because the, the answer is not important. Your comfort with persisting and thinking and solving problems 
is the important thing. So if I give you the answer, I actually take away the gift uh, of, of that learning. And they thought about it for a while and they, they accepted it. And I was doing that same, same brutal introduction to uh, here is something which is curious and simple in terms of materials, but a real puzzle for your brain. And I'll let you stew on it for a week or so. And one of the heads of the schools came in whilst I was in Thailand. And we got to the point I'd already given um, the, the girls, this was a, a girls at risk school in Thailand run by Buddhist nuns. Um, and they've never done any STEM at all and very little science. So I got them to collect all the broken uh, office equipment from the school and said, before we start anything, here are the tools. Um, we're going to strip all this stuff down. So we were taking apart computers. We were getting out motors. We were dissecting DVD drives. They were getting comfortable with tools. They were seeing how things went together. This is new for them. Um, and with, while they're doing that, I'm going, oh, that's a different kind of motor. That one's really hard to use. This one's a, a simple motor, like the one in the toy cars that we've got over here. And then after about three days of that, the, the head of the school was with me and I just dropped these unassembled loose parts of some robot kits that I bought because I couldn't avoid them getting at some point to make some robots. I sort of popped them on the table and through my translator sort of said, okay, you need to put these together. And the head of the school said, all right, I better let you go so you can give them the instructions to get this put together. I said, no, 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 they're good. And five minutes later, uh, all of the tables, all of the groups, and I've worked with teachers and students at the same time, uh, often in Southeast Asia, because it's good for both to, to learn together and to see each other. Um, the head of the school's jaw just continued to drop and drop and drop as these kids and teachers who'd never done anything like this successfully without instructions assembled and got their robots put together um, on that. And she just couldn't believe that they were doing it and going, that's what you get when you get them comfortable solving problems um, for, for that. So um, there are strategies to get these kind of 21st century skills integrated into the current curricula as teachers feel they have to teach it. And it's more a question about the approach, not the topics. Yeah, I mean, I was actually thinking about th throughout that it's extrinsic versus intrinsic. Like, what is your motivation? Are you going to be involved in this? I mean, if I'm if I want to learn, for example, we're on a podcast, right? I mean, I didn't have no idea how to do podcasts a couple of years ago. No idea whatsoever. But I knew I wanted to chat with people and I, I was actually on a mission to be able to solve a teacher's problem who was saying, hey, I'd love to hear from people. That'd be really cool if you could record said conversations. I didn't know how to do it, but I did have motivation to learn it. And yeah, so... And that's and yeah, that's, what, that, that's what STEM is, mm. you know, that, that's, that's why, that's, that's why STEM started was because, you know, people that were intrinsically motivated, uh, don't know where they're going. They're trying to solve the problem, picking up the skills and the knowledge to solve the problem is, you know, uh, acceptable to them. They get persistence, they get resilience, they get that motivation, they get retention because it's their problem. And the, one of the, one of the, one of the issues with how a lot of STEM, not a lot, some STEM is introduced, particularly in some, some countries, and it's more of a problem with the more money you have, probably the, the worse it's done, um, is they'll go, oh, it must be 3D printing and a laser printer. And you're going, it's not the tools, it's the approach. And so, yep. you know, you get, you get a pre-assembled line-following robot, and uh, after 10 minutes of getting it to follow the line, you're pretty much bored with it. Uh, if you're not careful, okay, what else do I do? Because, you know, again, it's not your problem. Uh, it's not your robot. 
you know, what else can I get to do with, with this? So we, we had a day in Thailand where I called it ugly robots. And so we just used the DV, the motors out of the DVD drives uh, and cardboard from some cardboard boxes. And they didn't work very well, but, you know, they made them. And if they wanted to change them, they'd just get out the knife and cut it up and start, start doing again, which is the skills that we want to see, not oh, I can unbox something and power it up. Well, that's absolutely right. I mean, you speak with a lot of people in the startup startup community. I mean, austerity produces elegance. I mean, you have to. I mean, you cannot. Okay, yeah, yes, you can buy. If you've got a massive deep pockets, of course, you're going to be able to buy the things that might solve your problem. But if that's all you know, if it doesn't come out of the box, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And nothing, and none of the really transformative things are going to come out of the box because they're already here. You know, someone else. Well, that's right. <laughs> By definition, it doesn't exist yet. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, so there's there's a lot a lot which can be done when you just sort of come back and you think about what, where do I want to get these people to? What's realistic uh, in the time and with my skills and which their circumstances? What's realistic? But what's a real um, what's a real change that's possible? What are the barriers to that? And what can I do to maximize, minimize the barriers and maximize the chance? So when I'm doing a, something which you might loosely call professional development with teachers, I don't just show them, oh, here are some interesting things to do. If at all possible, uh, even on Zoom uh, sessions, you know, I can come back a week later, which is one of the benefits of Zooming in, you know, visiting is cheap. Um, and I can sort of set them going, oh, I've shown you this tomorrow. I want you to tell me which of these activities you're going to use in a class. And in a week's time, I want you to come back and just give me five minutes on kind of how it went. Because everything I do is aimed to going, I'm going to get you excited, motivated, show you a new way of doing it. Uh, I may get you to do it with some of the other students in the group that I'm working with during the professional development, but I want you to try it in class. And more than that, I will almost uh, insist, I will design the process. So part of it means you doing it in class because it's, you know, it's well known to all of us, you know, you go to a PD session, if you don't apply it next week, you're unlikely to apply it next month. And if you haven't done it next month, you ain't ever going to do it. So with that kind of development stuff, getting it connected so they've actually tried it, um, you know, as part of your engagement with them, it doesn't have to be on the day, but as part of that engagement um, is one of the things which, you know, gets it happening. And that's why we try to do this stuff. So I'd love to know. Uh, so, I mean, you're, you're bouncing around, around the world. And what a great way to do early retirement, by the way. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, but apart from seeing the world in um, changing hearts and minds, you can't be everywhere. You just can't. And so um, so people listening into this may have to apply said ideas um, without having ever met you or seen a recording or anything. So it, imagine those, those groups of people, those cohorts that exist out there. Um, and you had to give just some simple words of wisdom and advice to start creating the actual top line problem solvers that these curricula tell us about in the first place. Uh, what would be the initial steps that you suggest, irrespective of budget? Yeah, look, um, and, and budget, budget too much budget is the problem it's you know it's easier to do with less uh, easier to have impact with less money um with that simple advice problem solving show them show them the phenomena and ask questions stop telling them things start asking them things so and for many of us which that's that come from education backgrounds our mental our deepest mental model of what helping someone learn looks like is someone telling you the facts that's what teaching is and that's 
you know, that's that's how the teachers have been taught to teach often. Um, and that's certainly how they were taught at school. That's the mental model. And it's really hard to learn to pose the question and have an awkward silence. And, you know, that's one of the things, you know, the, the kids learn in classes. There's a whole lot of peer pressure. We understand all that. You know, I'm not going to answer the question because I might get it wrong and look stupid. And the teacher doesn't want that awkward silence either. And so they step in and will give you the answer. Um, and that kind of stops the thinking process. So for, for me, um, break them up into small groups, ask them questions. So in the smaller groups, they can have those conversations. It's less vulnerable, they feel less vulnerable. Create the safe space, ask the questions, keep emphasizing it's about the process, it's not about the answer. And every idea is a good idea. And when they come back with, oh, maybe it's this, they go, yeah. So how can we test that idea? Not, that's not it. Has anyone else got the right idea? And it feels like, oh, I don't have time to teach like that. And going, you can do this stuff. You can provoke this sort of thinking in five minutes. Um, and, you know, doing five minutes of that a week is at least five minutes and an experience that many of these kids that I work with have never had in their entire schooling life. And so that's, that can be powerful. That, even that can be powerful. And one of the things which the science of learning, it's a bit of perverse uh, fortunate perverse brain science is if I get you curious about something through one of those processes, you're going to retain boring information given to you with direct instruction afterwards better. And it doesn't have to be on the same subject. So I can get you puzzling and thinking about anything for five minutes at the start of the day. We've got research science that shows that you're going to retain the boring stuff that comes after that better. And again, this is one of the things which gives me confidence in going, no, keep them curious, keep them sweating a little bit, keep them asking questions, because that's that really means when they do get to an answer, they're actually going to both understand the process, the science, the real scientific process of how you ask questions and solve them, and will remember the answer at the end of it. And so you can do that in five minutes. Oh, fantastic. And so there'll be people going, yeah, no, no I'm not going to sort this out completely by myself i'd love to have Stuart on board i'd love to have him come out how would they get in touch with you to do that uh look easiest uh find me in the socials uh twitter facebook just look for science nomad um or if anyone wants to kind of follow up on any of the particular details they can just send me an email at uh, the science nomad um at gmail.com so the science nomad one word uh but so happy anyone sort of follows me on on facebook i'm very open source um you know the stuff i do i share uh on on there and uh, happy happy to get people looking and trying and feeding me ideas we're all here to learn absolutely and as usual we have this all on the show notes as well so uh click away go find out more uh, look thank you very much Stuart, for hanging out you've got a bike ride or something coming up if i remember <laughs> Indeed, this, this weekend, I, I'm doing something slightly perverse. I'm driving 3,000 kilometres to go and cycle 1,000 kilometres over on the, the Mundabidi uh, Trail over in Western Australia. So up through the Jarrah and to it forests over there oh. for, for a few weeks. Oh, fantastic. Oh, well, enjoy that. I shall. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, much appreciated. It was awesome hanging out with you. Great. Great to talk with you, Ben. All the best to everyone. We hope you've been enjoying the Physics Ed podcast. We love making science make sense. Why don't you book us for a science show or workshop in your school? If you're outside of Australia, you can connect with us via a virtual excursion. See our website for more.
ago, we just heard from Dr. Stuart Colhagen, who really loves his STEM inquiry and importantly, making it accessible in many, many ways. So it is well worth hitting up Stuart Colhagen through the social media things. Type in the science nomad. I guarantee you'll find him and uh, you'll be able to reach out and work out how can you work with him to really make science work in your particular area, no matter where you are. So that is the end of this particular episode all about STEM inquiry. And yet again, you've been listening to me, Ben Newsom at Physics Education. Hope you're enjoying the Physics Ed podcast and I'll catch you another time. You've been listening to another Physics Ed podcast. We're excited about science. Subscribe to us on iTunes to download the next episode as soon as it's released. And don't forget, for hundreds of ideas, free experiments, our new Be Amazing book and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au